Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. Oh my God, Sally, do you know what time it is? I just looked down at the clock. Is it 5.55? It is. It's all happening. It's all happening. You guys, that's our special number that tells Sally and I that we're on the road to success and everything's going to be fine. Everything's (laughs) going to be fine. (laughs) I don't know why we – like this is just a number that has always like surrounded – it's supposed to mean um, change. Yeah. But but sometimes changes are really good and and Sally and I just keep telling ourselves that that means – we're on the road to success and good things are coming. So yep. we send the, the number to each other every time we see it, which is like five times a day. It's all the time. Not I really. Mean, it's like I don't – but I don't <laughs> send it to you every time I see it. Oh, I know. I saw it like three times today and I didn't send it to you. I just yeah. saw it like, hey. Yeah. Yeah, you're here. Things are looking good. Things are happening. Things are <laughs> <something laughs> So welcome to episode 179. Welcome, everyone. (laughs) We're here. How are you doing? We are here. I'm good. How are you? It's a nice, beautiful day out today. Sun is is. shining. It is. I got to see you yesterday at our favorite dance class. Oh, yeah. You guys, if you live in Atlanta, I keep saying this, but if you live in Atlanta, my uh, good friend Alice Harvey teaches a dance class, and it's so much fun. Uh, It's called... It really doesn't have a name, but her name is at Alice Don't Stop on Instagram. But yeah, it's just a real fun booty popping, yeah, twerking, feel good, feel good, good music, empowering. She's like, she just brings so much energy and like fun. And it's not like there's no like anybody, anybody can do it. There's no judgment. It's just, I like find myself like laughing the whole time. It's um, so fun. Yeah. yeah you don't so even realize that you're exercising because it's just fun. And I will say my butt has never looked better. It looks amazing. I was Thank checking you. you out. I was like, <laughs> I have a butt now. Yeah. Thank you. you. It. <laughs> uh, but it's great. It's a core indicator, a downtown decator. So come join yeah. us. Come, come join us. please. It's so fun. It's on Saturdays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7.15. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know we so sound fun. like an advertisement for it. We're not being paid for We're this. Not. We just no, really we like just, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted So just before we started recording, I got um, a message from uh, one of our listeners. Um, so last week we had Damon Sumner on. So much fun. Yes. Total blast. Love him. He had a lot of opinions about a lot of things. He's all, You know, it's, he's always stirring the pot. He's stirring I know. the pot. It's Damon for you. And um, – it's like I, the sweetest stir. Like it's like never anything that you're like, oh, this isn't politics or religion. This is like, you know, sweet tea. And- Little Debbie <laughs> snack cakes. And versus- tuna fish. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so the, I had done a story about a, an Am I the Asshole story about a woman who um, didn't want her – she was throwing a costume-themed wedding, which she wanted it to be geared towards like – cosplay on the more like what is what was it like medieval it romantic. was like goddesses i think yeah, like sun, yeah. maybe the sun goddess and you're gonna be the moon god right and her uncle or his uncle the groom's uncle decided that he was gonna show up in one of those 
blow up dinosaur costumes, which yeah. I thought was hilarious. And I, I kept asking too. Damon if he would laugh and he said, no, he wouldn't think it was funny. <laughs> but someone, a Haleystagram for just sent me a message that said, please put a poll, um, put up a poll about the dinosaur costumes at your wedding. I'm a hundred percent on Jen's team. If my <laughs> friend showed up in dino costumes, I'd die laughing and I'd love them in the pics. Yeah. See, so there's some people on my side. So let's uh, get this poll up. Yeah, because we'll I want poll. I want to prove I... that more people are on my side. <laughs> You're like, really, all I want you to tell me is what I want to hear. <laughs> and we did do a poll um, about is sweet tea disgusting or is it good? Yeah, and it was fifty fifty across the board on like all platforms. I but think that's really right? interesting. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. It was, and I couldn't believe because we're we're here in the South. I know mm-hmm. we have listeners everywhere, but um, a lot of people from the South agreed that sweet tea is disgusting. It's because it is. It really is. <laughs> I mean, it's only because it is. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have to get that poll up. But All right. We'll put a poll. So if you don't uh, – if you want to like follow along on fun stuff, you'll see our videos and you get polls like – whether or not um, sweet tea is disgusting, uh, whether or not people should rock dinosaur, blow up dinosaur costumes to people's weddings, all of that <laughs> stuff, Instagram. <laughs> all the hard-hitting questions. Yeah, you can find us there. Yep. Um, uh, let's get into our quickies. Okay, cool. I'm going first this week. So coincidentally, okay. my quickie is um, another – Am I the asshole story? I mean, they're so great. They're so good. I mean, (laughs) but they're all so different. It's not like we're doing the same thing over and over. So this actually came from a Board Panda article written by Mm -hmm. Adelaide Ross and Aiva Peculte. Uh Uh-huh. I think. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And it is about a babysitter. So this girl wrote in, she's 14 years old, and she wrote into Reddit's Am I the Mm. Asshole? And she was like, I don't know if I'm allowed to be here because she's only 14 (laughs) years old. Good on her. Definitely not. Definitely not. Good on her for even saying that. Uh, But she said, uh, this is what she wrote. She wrote, hi, I don't know if I'm allowed to post here. I'm 14 and I babysat for a few people in my neighborhood. On Friday, I was babysitting for a couple that moved into the city from the south. They're only a block from my house, so my parents were okay with me staying there until 10. They Mm -hmm. said they would be home by 9. They did not get home at 9. At quarter to 10, I started texting them to see if they were on their way. Then I called my parents. My mom came over because I was getting worried. It had snowed pretty bad on Friday, and they weren't answering. At 11.30... We phoned the police. I was freaking out. The police got their names and address and I guess found their license plates like that. They found them in about 25 minutes. They were at their friend's house. They called me and they were mad that I called the police. I promised I wouldn't have called the police if they had answered my texts or calls and my mom was concerned as well. I didn't call to get them in trouble. I was worried. But my mom told but they told my mom that I'm not mature enough to be babysitting if that's how I'm going to behave. I oh. kind of feel bad that the police made them come home from their friend's house, but I think they should have answered the phone. What if there was something wrong with their kids? She's wondering, is she the asshole? No. No way. No. She's a baby. She <laughs> is a not. child. You're I never know. the asshole. You are 
I mean, it, the gall of those people to call her immature. I like, know. First of all, you have a 14-year-old babysitter. So, like, you have to realize that you have a child in your house watching your children. You keep right. your phone on you at all times. Yes. Right? I remember when I was 14 years old, I babysat for this couple, and the baby was maybe a month old, like super brand new. Yeah. And I remember the couple, they were going to a Meat Puppets concert. And now I feel really bad about this because now uh-huh. I think about the fact that like that was probably the last time the Meat Puppets played. <laughs> but the baby, as soon as they left the house, the baby would not stop crying. The baby wailed and wailed and wailed and wailed the entire yeah. night. And after like the second hour of the baby, like wouldn't stop crying. And I was 14. I didn't know what to do. I right. called them and I asked, and they were like, what do you want to like come home or something? And I was like, well, I can't get the baby to stop crying and I don't know what to do. And yeah. they were so pissed at me and they came home. Like the mom couldn't even look at me, which now is like, I see it from both sides. Like as a mom, yeah. I get it when it's your first night out. You're just trying to do something. Really want to go see the meat puppets, right? <laughs> but like, and you're mad that you had to come home. I get that, but also like, I never would have left my one month old with a child. No, I that's wouldn't have thing. done that. It's like, yeah, yeah. You no, that's that is one hundred percent like that's the thing you have to expect when you hire a child to watch your child. I was twelve when I was watching a two year old and a one month old. Can you even imagine? I no. can't even imagine. And I remember being like, like I told my mom, I was like, I don't want to do this again. It's it was too it's, it's too much. Yeah, it is a lot. Like I I don't I don't know how to do this. My ex-husband used to get so frustrated with me because I would always like I was a stickler for time with getting home from the babysitter. I'm yeah. like, if we tell them this time, we yes. have to be home at this time. Yeah. And he was of the mind that like we're paying them to be there. Who cares? They're there no. for the night. It's not like they want to go out. Like and he and he would be like, I'm not gonna go out with you if you're gonna keep looking at your watch. And I'm like, it's not that I'm like looking at my watch. I'm just being mindful of the fact that if we tell like we're being accountable. Yeah. If we tell people that we're going to be home, then we need to be home at that time. Yeah. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's a you know a fifty year old woman who's like nannied her whole life, or right. if it's a fourteen year old. If we say we're going to be home at a time, it is our responsibility to be home at that time. Yeah, so, I agree. I totally just agree. say it. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, almost uh, I think like sixty five percent of people agreed with her that she was not the asshole but oh, i want to so and so they only showed of people yeah and they only mm-hmm. showed the um comments for the people that called that her uh, said that she was not the asshole but they didn't yeah. really say anything about um the people that were against her i mean but how could you even like wrap your brain around that i mean i think i can see that it is pretty extreme to call the police but they weren't um, but answering also, their phone. But they weren't answering the phone. There was a snowstorm. Um, mm-hmm. They were two hours, two and a half hours later than they said they were going to be. Like, yeah. I, I guess at that point, it's like, who else do you call? I mean, yeah. but that's why, why didn't they have a list of phone numbers on their fridge? Exactly. And also- <laughs> Do you not like, know how to get, have a babysitter? <laughs> babysitters are trained to call the police if there's an emergency. And that to yeah. me sounds like an emergency. You're two and a half hours late and you're not answering your phone and they're with your baby. Yeah, you're one month old baby. Yeah, like that's crazy. Well, I don't know if this baby was a month old. 
No, it um, was one but... month old. I've decided. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very little, bit, tiny, tiny baby. Yeah. Um. So I'm glad you agree. Glad I totally we're on the same agree. Page. We're on this the same page, Jen. If you and I ever have to get really babysitters, if we ever have to get babysitters for our kids, we will be back on time. On time. You can count <laughs> we'll on me. There. Yeah, you can count <laughs> on me too. <laughs> I mean, plus, who wants to stay out that late anyway? That's crazy. Nobody. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Well, I have um, – I actually have a sweet quickie this week. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. This is from the Washington Post by our girl, Sydney Page, who we've done lots of stories by her. She – I think – I realized I was like, oh, she she writes her, like, column – not column, but, like, she writes under – it's called Inspired Living – and I was like, what an amazing job as a journalist. You just yeah. get to do feel-good stories. Like, how great oh, is yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, okay. So this one is about a woman named Diane Gordon. Her car broke down about a year ago, um, and she's not been able to afford to get it fixed. Uh, she's 65 years old, and she works at the Fresh Marketplace. She lives in Michigan. Um, and so for over a year, she has been walking the 2.7 miles to and from work oh, five wow. days a week. Yeah. And so you met, she lives in Michigan, so it's very cold, cold. in the winter. Yeah. Um, and she just said, like, I don't have a choice. I just had to have a positive attitude. I couldn't afford it, that I had to work. So um, on January 21st of this year, at around 5.30, she was on her way home from work, and it was a very cold afternoon. And so she decided to walk stop at the gas station for a snack. And when she got there, she found something that was life-changing. She found a Ziploc bag filled with $14,000. Oh my God. How does that even just get lost? Yeah. Or why so, is it in a Ziploc bag? Drug well, money. Drug money. Um, so she said she like she looked down. It was right outside like the door of the gas station. And she's like, I could tell there was like so much money in it. There were some papers in it. She said she didn't open it, but she like kind of turned it over to look. And she was like, it was just money and money, like stacks of money. And she said, I looked at it. I knew it wasn't mine. And I knew what I needed to do. So she went into the gas station and she called the police. And then officer came to the gas station after she called, took the bag of cash. And then within two hours, one of the police officers called her back and told her they had been able to track down the people who the money belonged to. And it was actually a young couple who had gotten married? Oh, um, is it wedding day. money? It was their oh my wedding God. money. So the cards were Do, wedding those cards. Those are some really nice friends, right? Fourteen thousand dollars, and uh, in a Ziploc, like, <laughs> aye, aye, aye. <laughs> like no. My friends got me some, you know, coasters, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like we got you a piece of Tupperware mugs? from your. <laughs> Like we got you I have a one waffle plate. maker. <laughs> um, so the uh, the the police chief of White Lake Township said that um, since the wedding cards had the kids the kids the young couple's names on it, they were able to get oh, the money back to them. And yeah. they said that the newlyweds were overwhelmed with gratitude and especially overwhelmed because they knew they had lost it, but they just, you know, they thought it was gone for good. And oh, so yeah, they were like, just like 
overwhelmed by Diane's honesty. And the police chief said she didn't hesitate. She didn't question it. This doesn't happen very often that someone finds a large sum of money and turns it in. Uh, Some people would do that. Some people wouldn't. She didn't give it a second thought. And she said, like, if it doesn't belong to you, you don't keep it. I didn't do anything special. All I did was return something that didn't belong to me. So then Stacey Connell, whose husband was a police officer that actually responded to the call, was so touched by Diane's act of selflessness that she set up a GoFundMe page for her. Oh, wow. Set up a GoFundMe page for her. So um, she said, as a police officer's wife, I typically hear the bad things. So this is obviously heartwarming. I was hoping we could get her a car since she could have walked into any dealership and used that money, like the money she found in the bag. So in less than one week, more than $60,000 has been donated (gasps) from strangers. Wow, that's amazing. I hope there was a little bit in there from the couple. Not sure. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know the couple's name. They probably probably did. They probably probably did. I hope so. (laughs) I would like to think so. I would like to think so. I'll say yes. Yeah. And so Diane is just completely stunned by the outpouring of generosity. She said, I never expected anything like this. I'm so overwhelmed. I was just doing what I was taught to do. Um, And so she has used the money to buy a new vehicle. She got a new Jeep Compass. She got the keys to it on February 3rd. Uh, She said, I absolutely love it. It's got a steering wheel warmer and a backup camera, all things I've never had before. (laughs) And she said the remaining funds will go towards insurance and um, getting uh, car insurance and warranty as well as some home repairs. And she said that she's like so excited um, especially because it's going to make it easier to visit her grandchildren. Oh, that's who so are, sweet. Yeah, 13 and 11. Um, they live about a 25-minute drive away, and that is the first place she drove in her new car. Aww. And she said she's looking forward to driving to work, which will now only take 10 minutes, and that she plans wow. to offer dra- rides to her coworkers. She said, I'll give them a ride and pay it forward. She said, I didn't do something special. All I did was return something that didn't belong to me. But isn't that nice? So like a nice that is go so nice. story. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's I a good know. one. There you go. Oh God, I'm like really reluctant to tell you that my. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> story coming up is not. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good at what, all. What, Jen? It's a bad, bad story. It's a bad story. Uh, it's a bad. There's really nothing good in this story. But that, you know, that's what the crazy stories right? are for. You know, that's what we just want to, we want to like bring you up, put you down, and then I'll bring you back up at the end, you know? Yes. All right. Well, my story this week comes from an article for um, ABC7.com. Yeah. Um, the Cinemaholic. Um, Obviously. An article for the BBC, uh-huh. uh, written by Jessica Lussenhop, um, an article for Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, an article for thoughtco.com, written by Charles Montaldo. And also, most importantly, okay, an episode of Snapped Killer Couples. <gasps> Ugh, love it. Killer couples. 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't uh, love the killer couples, but I do love Snapped. Yes. Who doesn't? Um, there's only 782 episodes of it, <laughs> and it's going strong. I think it's going to, like, outlive The Simpsons. Right. Um, or it may have. I don't know. <laughs> Kelly Gissendander was born in Lawrenceville, Georgia, right here in Lawrenceville, Georgia. It's right outside Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, in 1968. She did not have an easy life at all growing up. It was a really hard life. She grew up in a very volatile household. Um, Her parents fought. They were alcoholics. They were abusive not only towards each other but also towards her. She uh, suffered through a lot of abuse. And high school was very hard for her. Um, They said she was bullied for, you know, wearing glasses and hand-me-down clothes. What a nerd. Which now is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Look at you, Sal. (laughs) I know. But, yeah, these days that'd be, like, cool and thrift store clothes. Right. But but unfortunately back then she was bullied for it. She uh, became pregnant in her senior year of high school Mm. and gave birth two weeks after graduation. Um, the father was not involved at all and was completely out of the picture. She was a single mom and she was living at home with her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so one day she was introduced to um, a nice mechanic named Doug Gissendaner. And he he was the opposite of her. Like he came from a very nice, loving home. It was a wealthy family. Yeah. Um, you know, he was kind to her. He was nice to her. He didn't drink or do drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was And it was just such a like breath of fresh air like for her to be around him given like the circumstances that she grew up around. So it was kind of just love at first sight when they met each other. They started going to church every, every Sunday together, Mm -hmm. you know, which is also like a huge departure from the way that she grew up. Yeah. Um, Doug wanted a family. And so she didn't mind at all that she already had a son that wasn't his. She just, he just wanted to take care of the both of them and and be a family. So very shortly after they met, um, they got married and then, very shortly after that, Kelly became pregnant. She gave birth to a baby girl in 1990, and then they moved to Buford, Georgia, also right over here. Mm-hmm. Um, but not Atlanta. Stop calling it Atlanta. <laughs> okay? Not Atlanta. <laughs> okay. So Doug was a really great father. He he worked a lot, but he made sure that he was always home in time to like put the kids to bed and, yeah. and have dinner with the family. But in 1991 – Doug unfortunately lost his job and they fell upon hard times and they had to sell their house. So he was really worried about how he was going to provide for the family. And so he decided to join the army as a way to like provide. And so after he went through army training, he actually was stationed in Germany. So he was living in Germany while Kelly and the kids were back here. Um, mm, that's really hard. Before George, yeah, that's really hard. It was gr- good for him because he did yeah. really well and he was able to send money back to the family. But after a while, the distance just was too big of a strain on their relationship. Mm. I mean, how could it not be? Yeah. Um, so after two years, Doug ended up quitting the army and he moved back home to Buford. When he got home, like things were still not great between him and Kelly. They weren't really able to like reconnect. Like that's a really hard, long time to be apart, you know? Yeah. And like um, probably, you know, like with very young children. Yeah. So, right. Like it's so she's there by herself with really young children. I bet you would, you would one change as a person and also probably grow a bit resentful. Yeah, for I sure. Imagine. And so in 1993, they ended up divorcing because mm-hmm. they just like couldn't 
make it work. So um, they both ended up trying to move on from the marriage with like different relationships. And Kelly ended up getting pregnant and having a baby. Uh, she had a baby boy. But again, this guy was like not a long-term guy. He was just like, yeah. a, you know, just a, a guy. And he wasn't in the picture at all and wasn't a part of the baby's life. So after a while of like the two of them dating, they're just wrong people and not finding yeah. anybody that, you know, and Kelly dating a string of bad guys. She realized like what a good guy Doug was. And yeah. um, she said that she should have appreciated him. And then mm-hmm. uh, so she decided to go back to Doug and try to make it work. And Doug did still love her. So they ended up getting back together. Um, and okay. Doug even took the new baby in as his own. They were back together as a happy family until um, on Saturday, February, there's always an until mm-hmm. on these stories. Um, on Saturday, February 8th, 1997, um, at 8 a.m., Kelly called her neighbor because she was looking for Doug. She was worried because Doug wasn't in their bed when she woke up that morning. Um, uh-huh. The last time she saw Doug was the night before when she had dropped the kids off with the babysitter for the night because she was planning on having a night out with her girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And so when she got home, Doug wasn't home, but she wasn't that worried about it because he was supposed to be um, at another friend's house helping them work on their car. But when she woke up, he still wasn't home, and then she started to worry. Yeah. So Hours went by, and then um, she called the friend whose house that he was supposed to be at, but they said that he left at 10 p.m. the night before. Oh. So at, then at 1 p.m. that day, she decided Jen, to call the – Yeah. I'm starting, to, I'm starting to get worried for Doug. Oh, I thought you were about to tell me that, like, we lost connection. I was about to – Oh, you know it. But this is – no, this is fine. We can work with this. <laughs> Just me unnecessarily interrupting you. We can work with this. We can work with this. I'll get us back on track. That is going to be those things. Where, like I haven't heard a single word you said yeah. in the last fifteen Jen, minutes. Jen, Thanks, Jen, bitch. Jen, are you there? <laughs> no, no. I was just oh, being good. a smart ass. Be like, yeah. oh, what do you think I would have done? If you just shut up and listen, don't find out. Okay, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> just kidding. Um, so, no, this is this is okay. Uh, so, at one o'clock the next day, she called the police. Um, and but the police weren't really worried about it. Like he was a grown man, and he yeah. wasn't like it wasn't even twenty four hours that he'd been missing. So they didn't really pay much attention, filed a missing persons report, but they weren't that worried about it. And then two days later on Sunday, February 9th, uh, Sergeant James Bell, who was with the Department of Natural Resources, was just doing his normal patrol. And he was patrolling a wooded area. And then when he saw this car that was parked, yeah, um, the car was undamaged on the outside. It looked fine. But when he got closer to the car, the inside of the car was completely burned. Um, also the tag of the car was destroyed, but he was able to see the VIN number. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when he he called the VIN number into the police, it did turn out that it was Doug Gissendaner's car. Yeah. So, um, I know. So, but his body was not in the car, so they didn't see 
dug, but they started a search party around that area, but nothing turned up. So the police notified Kelly that they found his car that was all burned out and she was like completely devastated. Yeah. Police interviewed her about when the last time she had seen him and she told them the same story that he was out with friends. He came, um, he was supposed to, when she came home, he wasn't there and he still wasn't there in the morning. So the police went and interviewed the Nesbits, who were the people whose car he was working on the night before. And they said that he all they could tell them was like, look, he left at 10 p.m. Uh, we gave him some spark plugs that he was going to take with them. He said he was going to take them and put them in his car. And it would have been um, just a 15-minute drive home from the Nesbits to his house. But hmm. his car was found five miles away from that. So that didn't really make any sense. So Kelly ended up turning to the media for help finding her husband like you know yeah. she was on the news and asking everyone to look for him and in the meantime though Doug's parents called the police to tell them that they had some information that they thought might be helpful they told the police that uh, Doug and Kelly while Kelly's on the news making it look like their relationship she's devastated because her husband's missing yeah yeah you knew this was coming um, I mean I suspected yeah because I'm You're a no really dummy. Good detective you are a good detective <laughs> Uh, but apparently Doug and Kelly's relationship was not as good as it seemed. Um, yeah. Uh, apparently Kelly had spent all of their savings. They fought constantly. Kelly was uh, like no longer okay with being the church going wife and mother. She was going out and partying a lot with her friends. Um, so his parents immediately suspected that she had something to do with his disappearance. Police spoke to other family members. It's so crazy. Sorry to interrupt. But I just think it's That's so okay. crazy. Like – even if you don't – like, even if I don't like someone and don't have, like, a good mar- – like, didn't have, like, a good marriage, like, oh, we fought all the time. Like, I don't know that – like, it doesn't seem like the next logical thing is to be like, oh, they probably had something to do with this murder. So it's like she must have been so awful. So bad. Yes, yeah. That they were mm-hmm. like, she had something to do with it. Like, but she I must also- have been doing some shady shit. I feel like we've been so indoctrined. Is that the right word? Indoctrinated. Indoctrinated. Mm -hmm. indoctrinated, um, To now always suspect the spouse, though, because we do so many of these stories. Oh yeah, yeah, so much true crime. Like, like I I feel like it's everyone's always going to be like, "Well, did you look into the spouse?" You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. I'm just trying to think of like, like your like knowing your in laws believe that you are capable. Of murder. That would be a horrible fucking feeling. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like- we, do, we do have a lot of these stories that we do where the in-laws at first are like, no way. That like, yeah. my daughter-in-law had nothing to do with it. Or my son-in-law would never hurt her. We love yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And they stand by him until that one piece of evidence comes out. And then they're like, Ugh, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So maybe they were just – I mean, and obviously yeah. I assume they were right. But Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. you got to listen to find out. Okay, fine. Okay. Okay. Um, so they they interviewed a lot of his other family members, and his other family members all backed up what his parents were saying. Yeah. So the police, of course, were wondering why was Kelly painting a picture that to them that everything was so great, you know? Yeah. Um. So what Kelly um did not mention to the police was that there was a person that she was seeing while her and Doug were divorced, and then when her and Doug got Back together, she told Doug, though, that she had stopped seeing him. It was a man named uh, Greg Owen. Greg Owen was a brother of one of her coworkers. Um, okay. His, 
upbringing was a lot more like Kelly's. He, he mm-hmm. grew up around a lot of domestic violence and they kind of found common ground in there and bonded on that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was sort of a wallflower and Kelly was very outgoing. So he kind of fell in love with her very quickly. Like, like she was so life of the party and he, he just kind of hung back and was just kind of enamored by her. Uh, according to Kelly, shortly after they started their romance, she lost interest in him um, mm-hmm. because he was an alcoholic and he didn't like drive or have a car because he had uh, prior DUIs. Oh, so yeah. she, she didn't picture him being like a father to her children. And like, this isn't a man that could provide for her, her family, you know? Right. So that made her kind of miss the stability of Doug. And she mm-hmm. went back to Doug for that stability. Um, I mean, but- Doug sounds like Doug, a, a Doug sounds like. A yeah, Doug. Guy, right? Like Doug. Oh, Doug. Just Doug. You know, Doug, he plays yeah. softball on the weekends and. Yeah. He was hunting with his brothers, but he's a good man. He's a good <laughs> man. That Doug. Good man. Good man, Doug. <laughs> I love a good husky southern accent. Good man. Good man, Doug. I'm going to get canceled for this. <laughs> People hate it. I've been doing Reba to my friend Dustin. And who's he's like Dustin Harder was on the show. Um, yeah. he's like the hugest Reba McIntyre fan in the whole world. And I've been not like really, your Reba? No, he hates it. He's like, I love you. Thank you for my happy birthday message, but please don't ever do that again. We like Reba says like, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Dustin. <laughs> It's me, Reba. He's like, that's not what she sounds like. Like, it's what she sounds like in my head. It's not what she sounds like. I do it terrible on purpose. That's the yeah. joke, guys. Come on. on don't board. you get it? Get on the board. Okay. <laughs> Love you, Justin. Um, so anyway, the police asked Kelly about her, this guy, Greg Owen, that people yeah. had mentioned to, um, to them. And she said that she had um, – broken up with him when she went back to Doug, but she told the police that he was completely obsessed with her, that he stalked her, and he was, like, angry that she went back to Doug, and she said that he had even threatened to get vengeance. So, so she... So she's, like, already throwing him under the bus. Immediately. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. They always do. They always um, do. So she said that she was scared of Greg, actually. And so the police looked into Greg, and he didn't have any previous record of violence, just like Mm -hmm. the DUIs, which are violent. Yeah. Snapped oxygen. (laughs) Yeah. They were like, it's not violent. It's not violent. I was like, no, it actually is. It can very well kill people. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so um, the police questioned Greg, and um, he said that he did date Kelly, but that he had um, he had nothing to do with um, Doug's disappearance. He said that yeah. he was at his friend's Lee his friend Lee's house that night watching TV, and his friend Lee corroborated his story and said, "Yeah, he was here all night watching TV with me." So twelve days went by, and uh, without any more leads mm-hmm. um and then sergeant james bell continued to do his patrolling in the woods you know where the car was found yeah um and he was driving down this dirt road when he spotted a trash bag about 50 yards from the road mm-hmm. but when he got up closer to it he realized that it wasn't a bag it was a person wow and so when um the so we called the police out and when the police checked the wallet it did say that the id belonged to doug gissendanner yeah and there were also two spark plugs in his front po- shirt pocket, 
like mm. his friend had said, they'd given him the yeah. um, spark plugs. And part of his face and neck, this is where it gets really bad. So part of his face and neck were missing as if it had been eaten by animals. Um, and they did find multiple stab wounds. Um, and um, after an autopsy was done, it was determined that he had been hit in the head with a blunt object. And the cause of death was four stab wounds to the neck, back, and chest. Hmm. And so, I know. And so Doug. when they... Poor Doug. And so when they notified Kelly, she was absolutely devastated. Um, mm-hmm. People said she was like inconsolable. A funeral was held for Doug and they said she was so upset that she threw herself on the casket and was hysterical. Um, and Kelly. I know. And, and she's so- doing all this in front of like his family. Who yeah. Was a bit like, this fucking bitch did it. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine being awkward? No. And so- and he was beloved by so many. There was apparently like a huge turnout at his yeah. funeral because and they're all watching her like be super dramatic and yeah, yeah. Um, so they like he didn't have any other enemies. and everyone loved him. So you know, um, you know, it was everybody was wondering who do this. I'm sure a lot of people assumed it was her, but right. Days after the funeral, one of Kelly's friends ended up calling the police to tell them that Kelly was still very much seeing Greg Owen and had Mm -hmm. been having an affair with him this whole time. She said that she knew this because she personally dropped Kelly off at a motel to meet him. And so then the police looked into Kelly's phone records and they saw that on the two weeks leading up to the murder, there there had been 40 phone calls between the two of them. Uh-huh. And most of them were initiated by Kelly. So that's this isn't somebody who's being stalked or right. is scared of him. But then after the murder, they didn't speak at all. So this looked, um, as my children would say, sus. Oh, it's so sus. Sus as hell. <laughs> so sus. So, um... <laughs> The police um, re-interviewed Greg's friend, Lee, that had originally provided the alibi for him. Uh Um, And after putting pressure on Lee, he admitted that he lied and that Greg did leave for some time, that someone came and picked him up, but he didn't know who it was. Mm -hmm. And so then the police brought Greg back in for questioning and told them of the new evidence with the phone calls and Lee's you know, new testimony. And so Greg sung like a canary. Oh, Greg. Uh, so he. <laughs> they always if, do. He's... Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't ever go murdering with someone. We say it don't all the time. Murdering. So Greg admitted that he and Kelly were still having an affair and that Greg had asked him to kill Doug so that they could be together. He said that she knew she was going to kill Doug when she got back together with him. That's what I was wondering. I'm like, did she get back together with him just to murder him? Like, just so she would get some kind of, like, money? Is Yes. He said that her plan was to get back together with him, have Doug buy a house, take out life insurance, and then have him killed so she could get the money, the house, the kids, and then her and Greg would be able to be together. Wow. That's evil. That's so cold. So evil. I know. So according to Greg, Kelly picked up – Greg at Lee's house, brought Mm -hmm. him to their house, and then she gave him a nightstick and a knife and told him to wait for Doug to come home. When Doug came home that night, he hit him in the head with the nightstick and forced him with the knife to get into his car and drive to this remote location. And Doug complied. Um, Greg told him where to stop. He had him get out of the car and walk up a hill. 
he said that Kelly had told him to take Doug's watch and ring to make it look like a robbery. Yeah. Um, and so when he did, he made him kneel down. He hit him in the back of the head and stab- stabbed him multiple times. It's horrific. Jen. I know. I told you it's a bad story. It's a bad and story. After the murder, he drove to a payphone and texted Kelly the numbers 123, which was a signal to let her know that it was done. So then Kelly drove to the scene Mm-hmm. Greg said that she wanted to see Doug's body. Like she made a point to go walk up to it to look. I mean, what the fuck? And so then she drove her car and Greg drove Doug's car to another location. She brought with her a bottle, a Coke bottle with the kerosene in it and uh-huh. poured it all over the inside of Doug's car. And then they set it on fire. Then she drove to Greg's house and Kelly took all of the items that Greg was wearing mm-hmm. the murder weapon, like all of his clothes, the murder weapon, and they put it in a garbage bag. And then he kept it for days before he threw it away in a random dumpster. So after he admitted all of that, he was arrested on the spot. And then they went to Kelly's house and arrested her. And yeah. of course, Kelly told the police a totally different story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She told the police that she knew Greg killed Doug because he called her and told her that he killed Doug, but he told her that if she told anybody, he'd kill her and her children. Uh-huh. And the police were like, yeah, right. That's the dump. They, you know like, what I mean? Also, like, there have been no phone calls between the two of you, so. Right. Fuck Greg. So, um, so they went to Greg and offered – Greg was offered a plea deal to testify against Kelly. He would get life without – Life with parole. He had to sign something saying that he wouldn't apply for parole for at least 25 years. Yeah. Um, And then they offered the same deal to Kelly to testify against Greg. She went to trial on November 2nd, 1998, uh, facing the death penalty. And her defense's strategy was basically to attack Greg's credibility and say he was like a liar and a derelict and Mm -hmm. why would anybody believe him? But the prosecutors not only had all this evidence evidence against her but they also had a friend of kelly's take the stand who who said that on the phone while kelly was in jail she confessed to her friend and said i did it pam she admitted to her friend that she did it yeah and then when she was like oh no i just confessed to my friend on the phone she went to a cellmate and asked her cellmate how she could hire somebody from the inside to beat up the friend before she could testify oh my god and then the cellmate Turned her in. Like, what? Yeah. So after just a few hours of deliberation, jury found her guilty and she was sentenced to death. So she was the only woman on death row in the state of Georgia. But they said that over the next 16 years, Kelly underwent a transformation, but she would counsel other prisoners and that she had talked one prisoner down from suicide and Mm -hmm. they said that she got her life around and everything while she was in jail and that her kids had asked her because her kids didn't want to have a relationship with her because that was their father and even though he wasn't the blood father of both two of those kids they were like that's the only dad we ever knew Yeah, and how could you do this her kids asked her like did you do this we need to know the truth and Mm. she said I did I did do it and like, yeah. because she knew that her kids needed to know that. So um, on September 29, 2015, uh, Kelly received a lethal injection and uh, passed away. They said that she was singing Amazing Grace as she lost consciousness. It's pretty heavy. I know I it's told you real this heavy. is not a good story. I know it's not good all around. All around, Jen. All like, around. Top to bottom. 
top to bottom. It started with like a person in a horrible. It's all. It's all bad. It's I'm all mad bad. at you. I'm like a not a single thing about it. I'm sorry. This right, <laughs> this podcast is for half of it. I am sorry. I take Fine. it back. Let's just like cancel this episode. <laughs> cancel it completely. Cut my whole story out. Okay, it's gonna be like um, just like elevator music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one was too bad, too bad to to play. Sorry. It'll Insert just, terrible story that you'll never want to hear again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So. Um, well, good job telling it. And thank you. I think that's the only nice thing I have to say. And poor Doug. Poor Doug. I know. Poor Doug and poor her kids. Yeah, that's the. You know, it's always like you killed your kid's dad. Like I know. <sighs> okay. Um, all right. Well, you know what? I've got like a super heartwarming story. Good. I'm going to take us to Happy Town. Please do. By all means. I fucking dare you. (laughs) Okay. I fucking do it. Watch me. Do it. All right. (laughs) Hey, Jen. Hey, Sal. Um, Are you ready for my heartwarming story? Very much so. Well, I, once again, this is the second story today that I'm doing that I got my information from the Washington Post by Sydney Page. Um, nice. Yeah. And then I also got information from an article on people.com by Francesca Street, who I also think we've done. Oh, yeah. Stories. We love yeah. Francesca Street. Yeah. They're like For the sure. dream team. They should do a yeah. podcast. They, um, they, probably, <laughs> they probably do. <laughs> okay. So in early 2022, Vasilios Canaris was working hard on his new restaurant um, called The New Southern Kitchen in Hunt Valley, which is just a little bit north of Baltimore, Maryland, right by um, Ben's brother and sister-in-law. Hi, Melissa. Thanks. She listens. Yeah, so probably right by them. The opening of his new restaurant was both important and symbolic to both Vasilios and his wife because they had lost their popular lunch restaurant, the Krabby Greek, during the pandemic. Vasilios told the Washington Post, I lost my restaurant because of COVID. He said that the Krabby Greek was in an office building and when people like went remote, there were there were no people working in the office building anymore. So there were like customers just completely fell out. He said the money was gone. Mm. So right as they're finishing work on their new restaurant, they got word from their electrician that the space they were um, working on had extensive electrical problems and that they were going to uh. have to pay like just a huge bill in order to open. And they just couldn't afford it. You know, they had put all their money into this new restaurant, into just the repairs to get it ready to go, that they couldn't afford this one more thing. He said, the money I was expecting to use to open the place was now gone. So now I was committed with a lease, but I didn't have the money to open up. So Vasilius's mother, Angela Canaris, who's 85, mentioned what was going on to her childhood friend, Josephine Valili Becker, who is 86. And when Josephine heard that Angela's son was struggling, she knew that this was her chance to do something her whole family had wanted to do for decades, to pay back Angela's family for saving Josephine and her family's lives. So, okay. So back in 1943, 
Josephine and Angela, so these are the two grandmas, were both were five and six years old. And they were living in Patras, Greece, which is a city about 130 miles from Athens. Josephine's father, Emmanuel, knew Angela's father, Elias Mikolos, because they had done business together and they had become friendly. So 1943 was also the year that Germany occupied Greece, which was a particular threat for Josephine's family because they were Jewish. Mm. And I don't know that I knew this, but nearly 60,000 Greek Jews were murdered in the Holocaust. Oh, God. So Elias, Angela's father, uh, her family was not Jewish, but they offered to hide Josephine's family. She was six at the time. So her parents, her grandparents, her baby sister, and also three uncles. Um, so he offered to hide them from the Nazis. So for one year during World War II, Josephine and eight of her family members lived in a half-finished wooden structure on Angela's family's property in this tiny mountain village. There was no running water or bathroom, but to Josephine's family, it was the difference between survival and death. You know, they were terrified, right, that the Nazis who were occupying Germany would take them away or kill them like many people they knew. They knew many families who were not as lucky. Josephine's family slept on the floor. Cold winter's months, They every night they thought somebody was going to come and get them. They just had oh. just meals of boiled potatoes or bread. Um, but according to Angela, all of the people in this little village knew that Josephine's family were Jewish, but they all kept it a secret. They all like came together, even the little children. She said, if the Germans found out, we all would have died, not only my family, but the people in the village. And the Nazis never found out about Josephine's family. But in 1944, they actually discovered that Angela's father, Elias, was also hiding British intelligence officers on his property. So they set fire to the family's stone house. So not the little cottage where Josephine's family was staying, but the like main house. Oh, um, wow. Angela says, I remember my father standing on, on the top of the steps crying. I've never seen my father cry and it has never left my mind. Oh, so God. they were able to rebuild the house interior and move back in. But then after they had rebuilt, the Nazis returned and they then bombed the house. And they, oh my forced, God. Yeah, they forced Angela's family to move into the barn with Josephine's family. She said it was a very difficult time because now they have 20 people staying in this tiny two-room barn. But she said that they made the most of us. Like all the children played together. The men would chop wood. They would barter for food. Um, the women would cook and clean. And somehow they made it through this time together. And so once the Nazis left Greece in October of 1944, uh, Josephine's family were finally free. They went back to their hometown of Patras and Angela's family moved there too. They started a trucking business. And then Angela's family moved to Baltimore in 1951. And then in 1956, Josephine's family also moved to Baltimore. And then when they arrived in Baltimore, they had heard that Angela's family was living there, but they didn't have an address or a phone number to get a hold of them. So they ended up leaving a letter for them at the Greek grocery store, thinking if they're gonna if they're here, this is where they're gonna shop. So yeah. um so it worked. They they wow. saw the letter. Angela's family saw the letter. And they saw each other again. And since that time, 
their families have been friends. So now for 80 years, like over the years, they have been present at each other's birthdays, christenings, bar mitzvahs, weddings. They also celebrate Thanksgiving together. Josephine says they are the most wonderful people. In the early 1980s, Josephine's family told their story to Yad Vashem, which is Israel's memorial memorial to Holocaust victims. And because of that, uh, Angela's family was designated as uh, it's quote, righteous among the nations, which is an honorific for non-Jews who risked their own lives to rescue Jews from the Nazis. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they were honored at a Holocaust memorial in Baltimore. On numerous occasions, Emmanuel Villili, who was Josephine's father, tried to pay Elias, who's Angela's father, for all that he did. But Elias refused to take any of his money. So now fast forward to this year when Josephine heard that Angela's son was struggling to get his new restaurant open, she and all of the Valile family sprung into action. Yeah. So Josephine's daughter, Yvonne, said, we wanted to give back. And so she went and she sent an email in January to all of her extended family um, to get support for the restaurant. She said, we all got together and helped. Everyone pitched him what they could. Someone had started of GoFundMe to support Basilius's restaurant. And then suddenly he's watching it and like the money just starts pouring in. He says, I was shocked. He said he looked at the names of the donors on the page and he said, oh my God, these are all Josephine's family. Uh. In total, the Valilis contributed more than $10,000 to help get hit the new Southern Kitchen up and running. The money went toward electrical pair repairs, food, other supplies. And by early February 2022, the restaurant was open for business. Oh, He said, with their help, I didn't have to worry. He said their generosity was much appreciated, though it was not at all expected. Angela said, I was so overwhelmed. I couldn't believe that they would do that. She said, if her parents were alive today, they would have been very proud of how the family's support of one another has persisted. She said, it's up to the younger generations to continue the friendship and their bond is stronger than ever. Josephine's daughter, Eileen Hollander, said that she becomes emotional when she thinks about the sacrifices that Angela's family made for hers. She said, it wasn't even a question that we would help. There was no way we could ever repay what their family did. Yvonne, who is Josephine's daughter, puts it plainly. She says, if it weren't for them, we wouldn't be here today. Yeah. I yeah. was going to say that. It's like, it's wild to think that like, yeah, if, the, if they hadn't helped that family, none of them would be there. None of them would be there. Yeah. I and know. isn't that, I just think it's amazing that they have like kept this family friendship. I mean, the whole story is amazing. Like from just the beginning to what they went through to like, they both moved, randomly moved to Baltimore. And now, even now, generations later, they're still, still helping each other. Just think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It is. That was, see, your story was so great in every way. And mine was so terrible. (laughs) The yin and the the yang, Jen. (laughs) It's what we strive to give you guys. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, speaking of yin and yang, let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay. Um, so for my something and dumb and something I love this week, I'm just going to go ahead and warn you, if you're not a fan of Bravo garbage TV shows, just, you know, fast forward to Sally's because I'm about to get on a fucking soapbox. Um, I am not going to understand a word. Uh, no. Okay. So if you watch Vanderpump Rules, this just came out and it's rocking the Bravo Nation. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so uh, Tom Sandoval 
Hill from Vanderpump Rules, who has been dating Ariana Maddox. Lovely, beautiful girl. Yeah. For seven years they've been together. They own a home together. Uh-huh. She is stuck by his side through all of his dumb haircuts, all of his fucking fedoras, all of his stupid, like, bands. Uh, she has stayed by him through all of it. Uh-huh. And he has been cheating on her with her very good friend who just – who um the friend her name's Raquel she was engaged to a guy named James that was on the show they got um they broke up and Ariana has taken Raquel in to help her deal with this separation get her back on her feet get her back out there and dating and the whole fucking time Raquel was sleeping with Tom in their home no, she brought and her. He just left her and publicly announced that he's that he's left Ariana because it came out that they were cheating and him and Raquel want to openly be together. And I'm uh, just beside myself. Jen, Sadly. can I ask you this? Yes. Do you think any of these things it's all true and it's are all for real. It's okay, real. So, so not for ratings, not but also No, 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 no. Okay. This is real. And I'll okay. tell you. And so the <laughs> something that I love uh-huh. is I want it's all over the internet. It's like blowing yeah. up. Maybe I just see it because I like they know I'm garbage and it's like directed <laughs> at me. Like, oh you freaking love this. You're a piece of shit. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> and you're like, yum, 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 yum. Let me eat it up. Yeah, more. But my dear, wonderful amazing beautiful friend Jolene Lunzer who is a stand-up comedian and also um, has a bunch of really great podcasts and and YouTube uh, channels she is covering all of the footage so you can see it on YouTube you can see it on her Instagram you can see it on her TikTok it's Jolene Lunzer Um, just so follow her if you want to hear all the juicy details she's also a garbage person yeah Eat it up. She's Go. great. You'll love it. You'll yeah. love it. And you'll love Jolene because she's amazing. Um, so um, that's my something dumb and something I love. I just <laughs> had to say. I love it. I love <laughs> I love this part of it. Like I don't want to watch the shows, but I would love if you just like every week Tell you told, what happened. told me about the drama. Sure. I'd I would love, love to you. hear about the drama. Like I just want to hear that kind <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> like sometimes I'll listen to people talking about like, the Kardashians, even though I literally I don't have any I never context. Really watch, I don't know anything about the Kardashians. But sometimes but. I just like hearing like kind of the crazy. What is the drama that's happening this week with them? I you know right, or right. any of those like any of the like you know Real Housewives getting arrested or whatever. I'm I'm here for that. Oh well, I can I can tell you anything that's going on in the Bravo yeah universe, as they say. Yeah, I don't want to have because, to watch it. I just and even if hear. I'm not watching it. Instagram will make sure that I know. (laughs) (laughs) I would say that that goes also for people's personal lives. If you guys just want to like tell me the drama going on in your lives, I would love to hear that too. Yeah, bring it. We'll have you on as a guest. (laughs) If you have drama you want to talk about, we would love to have you on the show. Yeah. (laughs) Bring it on. We love your drama. Okay. My something dumb is um, student loans. That's my something dumb. I hate them. Uh, I hate them. They've like – so much stress and uh, strife in my life. 
caused so by my sorry. student loans. You know, I'm not going to go into it, but like I thought I had done something right to like basically like pay off my student loans in like some big way. And it turns out maybe I didn't. And I don't think it's my fault, but it might be my fault. And it just like brought up a whole bunch of like money issues. And I just was like, this is just such bullshit that at this age that I'm still dealing with it. Anyway, God. I just want to say if that's you, I feel you. I'm there. It's so stressful. And it really and if you're a young person, like just really think about take when you're taking loans out. Um, yeah, like start a podcast instead. Get like get have an Instagram account about dogs wearing hats. You know, do something right? that will actually make you money. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> start a YouTube channel where you just open boxes. <laughs> Or just like run your fingers through grains of sand. Do something with Voice. promise, you know? Yeah, don't don't go Our to college. law school. Don't get a science degree. Like those are why? Bullshit. Why would you ever uh, become you- a consultant on you know coasters, uh, fashion coasters? Right. Do something yeah. useful. Yeah. Uh, my my dad and stepmom gave Max like a little kid's video camera for his birthday. Oh, cute. Very cute. And he opened it and he goes, oh, this is great. I've been wanting to become a YouTuber. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. you've been wanting to? <laughs> That's all the kids want to be is YouTubers these days. And I, I was like, God. actually, you'd probably make way more money than I've ever made <laughs> my entertainment career. <laughs> Those kids that my kids know of. Sell out like arenas. My sister just took my nephew to a show in like Houston. Like she took him to Houston to go see his favorite YouTuber, and he played like an arena. It's like kid. It's crazy. (laughs) And I think his like his shtick is just like saying things in a really annoying voice, very loudly. I mean, I can (laughs) do that. In in my experience, that's what all YouTube is. No, like there's a Ryan's toy review kid is like a billionaire. Oh my, my god! My nephews love him. I wait when they've asked for Christmas presents. They've asked for like Ryan's toy review T-shirts. Yeah, I mean, and that's, like, and it's just a little kid reviewing toys. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all bullshit. It's wild. <laughs> like, what is life? What, what is, is life? life? What is life? I know. Um, right. Maybe I should write to Ryan and be like, "Could you pay my student loans?" Yeah, totally. You my son just, loves like, you. <laughs> um so that's the thing that's dumb um the thing that i love i don't think that i talked about was that i a couple weeks ago got to go on an amazing uh weekend trip with uh dr dude fuck and grace and we went to this resort outside of albuquerque and it was just so beautiful and such like a wonderful like relaxing and fun trip and so nice to just be with really good girlfriends. And I think we've said this before. It's like, why do we just not always do this? <laughs> I know. Why do we just but not always? <laughs> if it weren't for jobs and responsibilities, we just uh, would be all the yeah, time. All the time. <laughs> anyway, that was wonderful. And it was really just like filled me up. And um, and it was just such a wonderful weekend. So I love that. Awesome. Love that. I love that for you. Thank you. Great. So that's we our did episode. It. We did that's it. That's our job. episode. We did. If you guys want to get in touch with us, please do. We're on all of the social media. You can find us on YouTube, on uh, Instagram, TikTok, 
Facebook. We are posting lots of videos. So if you want to see videos of the show, subscribe to those, rate and review the podcast, tell a friend. We would love that. We would love it. Please tell all your friends because we want to be rich like little baby YouTuber kids. (laughs) That's the goal. That's the goal. Uh Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, We dumb love you so much. And don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love.